0: dropping in means it's time to begin wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc we got your back we got your back are you uh, sitting in traffic are you maybe working out are you cleaning the house are you using our podcast to help you get the chores done we're gonna be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes Talking gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week, delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week Mac Weldon, Fireside, and Blue Apron delicious blue apron they made that possible bringing the show to you dlc of course the show all about games and their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice luck and cardboard i am your host jeff canada that's spelled with two n's and one t and i am joined as always by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis mr la la land oh wait no i'm sorry there was a mistake mr christian spicer hello christian
1: hello oh i can confirm that the oscars will not win an emmy this year you know what i'm
0: saying <laughs> wow, uh, well, so. maybe viola davis's speech will but that's about uh that's about it that was some fun watching huh?
1: oh, <laughs> price waterhouse poopers is more like it am
0: i <laughs> am i right Oh, guys, this is a massive week. We got, we got a brand new console coming out in four days from today. Uh, we've got Horizon Zero Dawn coming out tomorrow from today. We've got, uh, a new r- major VR release that I want to talk about. We've got so much. That quick questions segment was a big hit. We got more quick questions coming at you. I sounded when you said that.
1: Everything else sounded exciting. And then you're like, on oh, that yeah. quick, uh, ugh, ugh.
0: No, I'm excited, man. Especially, we have a cool bumper. Uh, Our buddy Uh, Sean Medigan came through again. Uh, And even better than that, guys, we have an awesome guest to do it with. Every single week, you know, DLC stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, we're excited because once again, DLC stands for digital life in Canada. Because from the Sun Media newspapers and websites, including the Toronto Sun, one of our favorite guests is back with us, Mr. Steve Tilly. Hey, Hey, Steve. Oh, hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Oh, we we're Canada, so excited to the have new, you back. news
1: is still real. What's that? It's Canada where the news is still real.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And your your chief commander's got a sweet booty. Ooh. He
2: is a fine-looking man. He
1: is a hunk of man, right? Dreamboat. Yeah, we wow. can all agree on
0: that. Um, I'm very excited because uh, in the playlist we're going to hear Steve has a switch in mm-hmm. his very own hands. It's actually uh, sitting in front of me at this uh, moment. So my, he's uh, here with uh, us. Uh, he's... <laughs> He's wasting time. He could be switching. My attention's divided. I don't know what to do. You're gonna, uh,
1: he's playing it right now. He just I brought actually, it over to the party. I
2: literally am. It's, it's sitting in front of me, and I'm playing it. As I, <laughs> as
0: I'm
2: so I'll give you, I'll give you at least eighty percent of my attention. <laughs>
0: well, that's all we can, uh, you know, justifiably hope for. Uh, but let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the. Story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration using our hashtag on Twitter, DLC-S-O-T-W, is that hashtag? Or you can visit our subreddit where really cool people hang out, submit stories, talk about the news, talk about our, our episodes. That's at 5by5dlc.reddit.com
1: oh Oh, man sorry i uh i I stickied the uh quick 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 questions thing on the subreddit yeah and then i accidentally deleted like the discord post that had like the dlc discord i don't think tons of people are using it but i'm so sorry i deleted it while trying to unsticky it because i'm a i'm a reddit idiot um Mm -hmm. but that's me that's my fault so sorry classic christian sorry
0: well Guys, I know that the big news really is a new console coming out, but we actually got other big news. And, Steve, you're our guest, so you get first pick. What would you consider to be your story of the week?
2: Well, my personal story of this week has got to be the fact that it was confirmed this morning. We'd heard the whispers confirmed this morning that uh, Shadow of the Mo- – Shadow of Mortar sequel coming out this year, this August.
0: Yeah, Shadow August of- 22nd.
2: War. I. I just went back recently and replayed Shadow of Mortar from the beginning, a complete second playthrough, and loved it again. And in the final moments, I'm like, please let this, please let them do a sequel. I didn't think it had actually performed well enough to warrant a sequel, but I am super stoked, super stoked that we're going back.
0: What prompted the second playthrough? Is it because you thought this was going to happen?
2: No, it's because I actually upgraded my gaming PC, and I'm going through my Steam library. You know, instead of playing one of the eight thousand titles sitting in my Steam library that I haven't touched yet, I'm like, I'm going to fire up Shadow of and See how that looks on my new computer. I'm just going to play through the you know the first few captains. I'm just apparently I'm just going to finish the game again. Just you
1: know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> blew through it again, and it's it's got you know sort of one of the the best combat systems of any open-world game that I've played until recently. Until yeah. recently. And uh, I don't know. I just got sucked right back in and uh, kind of just, just honestly as a, as a passing thought, I thought, well, you know, a sequel to this would be great. But I never heard this being a huge success for, for Warner Brothers. I never heard about this being a big enough seller that they were actually going to jump all over a sequel. So this is, this is the fact that this is being confirmed is great news.
0: Well, it was certainly lauded. It won it won some some awards, and it certainly was in a lot of people's uh, best of the year lists, including Mr. Christian Spicer's. Um, let me I just run that- down.
2: Overlooked a little bit though. Did it not get a little bit overlooked? I thought it's the game that I kept on, I keep on trying to sell people on. Have I mean, you played the mortar game? I'm like, oh, no, no, not into not really being into Lord of the Rings. You don't have to be into Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's got great lore, but it's also just a great game. And I just uh, it just seemed like a lot of people that I was talking to weren't quite aware of its existence.
0: It's an interesting thing because you figure the Lord of the Rings license is a big license and probably cost them a lot of money to use, but I I kind of agree with that. Sentiment that it might actually hold the game back a little bit because it feels like a tired license a little bit to mm-hmm. me as well as as innovative and cool as this game was. Uh, I think maybe had it been a different universe, it may have actually done better. But, you know, the, the Nemesis system, when that game came out, I thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to see a whole bunch of games just steal this Nemesis system. The Nemesis system is going to be like this, you know, the the new uh, feature du jour. And it really has not happened but I'm very excited to hear that the bullet points from the press release of this sequel, Shadow of War, door uh, <laughs> will um, will expand upon the Nemesis system. The nemesis system, of course, is that thing where the AI of the world uh, responds basically to how you deal with it, and they, you know, captains of these uh, of these armies remember you and learn from you and and uh, kind of react to the to the ways you have affected the world they're expanding that to affect geometry or excuse me uh, geography environments now will have sort of a nemesis system uh, component so that actual areas will change and be affected by how you how you play. Uh Christian, I know you were a huge fan of Shadow of Mordor. Are you excited for Shadow of War? Dor?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I the first game was great according to a quick wikipedia search it's the it it was the most successful release for any lord of the rings based game so i think it did fine um i think it did fly under some some people's radar just because it wasn't you know it's a new character kind of in that world right and a new original story in that world but i remember a lot of people were kind of blown away by it it got a lot of game of the year nods and stuff like that and i think the fact that the more games haven't borrowed that nemesis system getting back into it now is is even more exciting and I'm excited to see what this original team has done with it it's not as if they've been pumping out games every year since this either so it seems like this thing's had a, a decent amount of time in the oven hopefully it comes out fully cooked and uh You know, I don't think it needs to be much bigger. I think it just I want more of that and a cool new narrative. And it looks like they're doing something cool with the, you know, kind of the rushed out, potentially rushed out (laughs) story trailer after Target was like, oops, here's this game. (laughs) Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, We have a
0: friend of the show who works at at WB and uh, he was tweeting at me this morning saying how. Really disappointed they all were because they were going for that thing that we've talked about on the show a whole bunch ever since a year ago, E3, which is that Fallout 4 type reveal and, hey, it's going to be here immediately. Uh, That thing that we were all excited to see. And I think that it sounds like the team there was excited to do that where they were going to uh, reveal the game and have it come out very, very quickly, really back to back. And that was spoiled. That was spoiled by uh, Target leaking this on their online store. Uh, which forced them to reveal the trailer a little early. Steve, is that something that uh, bums you out, or as a, uh, a news person, as a games journalist, are you, you know, in, in pursuit of the scoop uh, above all?
2: Well, it's it bums me out for the the developers because you know this is their big moment. That that would have been their big moment in E3, but I feel like this is now. The rule rather than the exception. Um, I'm really surprised that, that Bethesda was able to keep the the confirmed existence of Fallout 4 um, completely under wraps, and a lot of the features completely under wraps until E3. And that's what made that press conference a couple years back so memorable was the fact that we were blown away not only by the fact that Fallout 4 was so fully formed, but that it was coming so quickly. But we're seeing again and again and again, even games that are that are a long way away. We're seeing you know the the premises leaked, we're seeing the characters leaked, the settings leaked. It's just it's so hard to contain this stuff when you have so many points of entry. You know, you've got retailers, you've got developers. I mean, I'm sure the developers for the most part are the tightest part of the, you know, the, the container, the the one that's leaking the least. But there's so many other moving parts, you know, uh, manufacturing and you know all these people have to know about a game's existence well ahead of time. And there's just so much potential for a leak. I you know personally I I don't think that E3 necessarily has to be the place where we get all the big reveals. I think, you know, you guys have talked about and we've talked about maybe the, the relev- relevancy of E3 diminishing and the way it's going to change this year. So yeah, I feel bummed for Warner Brothers. I feel bummed for Monolith, but I am super stoked <laughs> to get the news, whether it's now or later. And I'm really happy that they're gone. They're going back to the world. I actually hope that, um, They do make the world bigger, though. My one complaint about Shadow of Mordor was that the world itself felt kind of constrained in size. There wasn't a lot of variety to the different areas. Um, As you're running from one end to the other, it takes a very short time to cross the world. Everything looks kind of the same. The combat was, you know, amazing the uh the, the storytelling was fantastic they, they really invested in the lore but i actually do want to see a bigger not a huge world but a bigger world with more kind of variety to the geography and variety to the you know the, the areas that we visit
0: well we'll definitely get to see it fairly soon august 22nd yeah. not too far away i guess um and i guess there's going to be even more gameplay reveals uh in march um all we have right now is this uh you know cinematic trailer the pre-rendered cinematic trailer but it looks pretty cool yeah. yeah yeah looks pretty rad uh, and it's it, the first game that i know that's been, already been confirmed for project scorpio so that's kind of exciting all those project scorpio of course much later than the august 22nd release date it's going to be a fall uh console release so but still exciting and again i should mention this story was submitted by lazy river in our subreddit so thank you lazy river for submitting that christian what is your story of the week
1: uh, this is from Escapegoat 07 submitted this, pointed our, our heads this way, and, uh, it came out what? In a, um, a sales call, um, that the PSVR has sold, at this point, I can say over 915,000 units since it launched in October. Their internal, Sony's internal goal was 100 million, 100 yeah, one, million, 1 million. Uh, <laughs> million units within the hardware's first six months. And, you know, they're definitely going to do that, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this thing is is crushing Sony's expectations, it seems like, which I think is, is twofold. One, congratulations to uh, the team that worked on it and, and getting the tech out and stuff like that and getting it into consumers' hands. Um, but two, this might explain why there hasn't been a ton of games. <laughs> if they were looking at like a six-month window to get a million units out, you know, that's kind of could define a dev cycle and like okay these are we're going to get games out as this thing gets into people's hands and people are like no 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 we want this thing now uh like we mentioned we talked about resident evil 7 the number of people who played that game playing it in vr and uh i think this thing's a hit guys i think it's a hit
0: well you know if this was a console launch that would not be particularly impressive amount of units but everything is relative to expectation right and the fact that it's exceeding expectations is huge and i think that that is that that Points to me to, to several things. First, uh, people want this tech. It is, it is a tech that is not a fad. It's not going to go away. It's really is desirable to people, even at a high price point right now and not perfect right now. It still is really transformative and awesome. So I, I'm encouraged that way. Also, I think it proves that there needs to be more software for this thing. I think having Resident Evil 7 be a a full gaming experience that really proves how how immersive VR can be and and it has you know it really was a great way to play that game it wasn't just a tacked on feature it wasn't just a gimmick it really you could play through the whole game and it's amazing i think i'm hoping that encourages more developers to to throw weight behind PSVR and we we'll see more Uh, game announcements in the next few months including at e3 uh for psvr and you know i think that's contrary to what we've seen in the last few months which is you know uh, playstation really not talking about it very much maybe this will spur them to uh to reinvest and re uh you know reinvigorate this this peripheral um what do you think steve
2: yeah, I mean, when you have a, a, a basically an accessory for your console that costs more than the console, and you sell almost a million units uh, right out the door, you know, within a few months of launch, that's incredible, and that really does speak to the, I think, the appetite or the curiosity for VR. I think it also has a lot to do with VR evangelist Jeff Kanata, you know, <laughs> preaching the word to so many people. But
0: I do my part.
2: <laughs> there really is an interest in mean, it. Everybody I've 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 spoken to who hasn't yet taken the plunge. They want to know about VR, but it's such a difficult experience to to kind of communicate to people without putting them in it, you know, and it's hard to run demo stations. And you know, we heard about I think it was Best Buy I was backing out of doing Oculus demos or something because of the, yeah. the complexity of it. So it's a hard thing to really get people to understand without getting them in it. And I think maybe Sony got there at a price point that was manageable for a lot of people. With some really good software, I mean a great you know software lineup, you know for for basically a peripheral launch. There's, there were a lot of solid titles off off the, off the start, yeah. And the gear itself is, in terms of higher end VR headsets, by far the easiest one to set up, by far the most comfortable to wear, and yep. most comfortable to get on and off your head. So good on them, I think. And you, know, it's it's. It's not very often you see a company say, yeah, we had this super hyped new product and we're actually kind of blown away by how much people have responded to it.
0: Yeah, and it's still supply constrained, right? Yeah. It's not... One assumes that they could sell even more than 900K if uh, if it was more available in stores. So I think the future is bright here. I mean, the I guess the other side of that coin is that it is sold more than Vive and Oculus combined, yeah. uh, which is pretty, pretty impressive. But of course, those... Are the much more high end systems? They require a, a high end PC. It's a much more difficult proposition, but still, uh, I think VR is here to stay. I mean, that's that's really my takeaway from this, and I, I hope that Sony takes this and goes, "Oh, awesome! Let's let's really blow people away with the stuff we can we can do." But you're right. You know, launching with Batman and Star Wars, is the best thing they could have possibly done, right? And those were really cool experiences. Maybe they the were launch brief-
1: with Star Wars.
0: Pretty much. I mean, it was a very close after after launch that you could play a Star Wars thing. Um, yeah, you know, it wasn't too, yeah, yeah. too far away. Sure, launch window, but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, but, but they launched saying there's going to be a Star Wars experience on this thing very soon. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it was uh, – I think those were smart things. Anyway, I'm encouraged. Um, that was kind of what definitely was going to be my story of the week, but I, I love this one. Uh, this was sent in to us by Haydenism on our subreddit. This is, uh, uh, something I hadn't heard about until right now, but evidently it's been going on for several years. Uh, and in, in 2014, uh, this, uh, this guy known as the Mexican runner, uh, Peter Kusilchek. Oh boy. I'm sure I butchered that. Uh, he's the Mexican runner. He's a, a Polish uh, streamer and uh, and uh, games done quick type dude, a speedrunner, and uh, he's already made a name for himself uh, with Battle Toads and some other games, being a, a, a high level speedrunner. He set out to complete every NES game known to man. Uh, seven hundred, uh, excuse me, seven hundred fourteen. Of these. There are 679 games that were released in North America and 39, uh, 35 PAL exclusive games for a total of 714. He played through all of them. It took him uh, over 3,000 hours. Wow. Several years. I mean, he, he started in 2014, he completed uh, yesterday. And uh, it's an incro- extraordinary achievement. When you think about how a brutally difficult a lot of these NES games are, b how broken a lot of these NES games were at that time, you know, games would be would be put out and no one intended anybody to get to the end of them. They were just this, you know, this arcade. It was the arcade idea of of things just beating you down. Uh, he had to play games like um, uh, Bases Loaded when there were four Bases Loaded games that, in order to quote unquote beat the game or finish the game. Uh, he had to play uh, 72 seasons. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, excuse me. Seasons of 72 games. Um, it's an extraordinary uh, achievement. He said that the most difficult one, the one that took him the longest is miracle piano teaching, miracle piano teaching system on the NES. It took him 91 hours to finish that game. And he basically had to learn how to play the piano to finish it. <laughs> That's oh my goodness. In You know, I, I mean, know, wow.
2: Kind of the immediate reaction is is to I know the immediate reaction from some people is, you know, why would you do this? What, don't you have better things to do? But then I look at this and this is such an achievement and this is something this guy this is this guy's Everest. he, he saw it, he set out to conquer it and he has now summited it after 3 and a bit years. And that's uh, I mean, I'm amazed by it. I, the fact that we're talking about him obviously means that he's achieved something incredible, but I love the fact that, that was the hardest game. I mean, I guess if he's speed running Battletoads, you know, he's, he's probably, probably pretty adept at most of the games, uh, of that era, but, uh, learning how to play piano essentially to, yeah. to, to get to
0: this. I mean, I guess he came away with an actual life skill in, in, in that case at least, but I, I dipped into his, uh, YouTube page a little bit. Uh, in in looking up the story and just kind of randomly clicked on a, a game to watch him play. He was playing Night Rider, the old NES game Night Rider, which is terrible, utterly garbage. And he's just like, it's it's this really could be somebody's punishment. You know that, what's that famous thing of like, you know, the, a dad catching a kid smoking and then locking him into the closet with a carton of cigarettes and say, don't come out until you've finished all of them, and then the kid never wants to smoke again. I kind of feel like that's this, but, you know, for video games, like... Ugh, it sounds brutal, Christian. You uh, you down down to play every NES game forever?
1: Sorry, I just started. I'm starting with uh, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm stuck in the sewer level. I've already given up. <laughs> already, yeah. it's incredible. And I, i ooh, the, the the thing I think is most impressive was this idea that games that didn't have uh, an end per se, he would play until they started looping or until there, you know, there was it was impossible to make further progress. Like, boy, because like you said, it's like it's dark. It's arcade games, you know. Like Pac Man doesn't have an end. Right. It's that's crazy. I I I wish that and it would have been a long time, but like there was a film crew because I would have loved to have watched this um, documentary. You know,
0: uh, you can. It's called his YouTube and Twitch pages, and he documented everything. Minute
1: version yeah. that shot beautifully.
0: You, you want? <laughs> no, I don't want to have to endure watching this guy endure three thousand hours of games maybe
1: that'll be my everest yeah. i will watch every second of this guy's stream of every video every nest game
0: that's uh i'm sure no one actually has
1: except him yeah, <laughs> so there right? you go. and i will do it on 1.5x
0: you know. <laughs> <laughs> i will cheat at everest just a little bit yeah <laughs> um I love that because it's a feel-good story, but I do want to, because we were talking, uh, you know, a positive story for VR that uh, PSVR is selling well. I would be remiss if we didn't bring up the ZeniMax uh, media lawsuit. We talked about it, I don't know, last week, the week before when, when it came down that they were awarded uh, damages. Um, It turns out they, they had at that time the option to file an injunction to try to prevent sales of Oculus products and it, evidently they're doing that. Uh, we were speculating on whether or not they would, and it turns out they are. Uh, Christian, as uh, a lawyer whose word is, can ac- absolutely be taken as law now, <laughs> uh, and no
1: disclaimer is needed, uh, what is your take on this? So I'm not a lawyer. Um, this is great i i fully support it you know I, I don't think this is frivolous at all they they won a judgment not entirely what they thought you know what they asked for but they think they're wronged and they think that oculus is illegally using their code to ship and sell a device they 100 percent should protect what is theirs and if part of that is preventing the sale of the thing that is con- constantly stealing from them i 100 percent think they should do it i don't think this is them being petty or childish or anything and i think you know i i think it's easy to be a fan of one or the other or like oh zenimax is so litigious it's so evil what they're doing but apple did this with samsung um samsung's done this with other people as well like the tech industry is is full of this kind of thing and i think at some That's point maybe patent law is broken Well, sure. Yes, yes. But that none of these companies, none of the examples I specifically cited were patent trolls. And I don't think that this falls into that category at all. This isn't a small holding company based out of East Texas that brought a lawsuit to claim something to get royalty payments out of whatever, whatever, whatever. This is a company that employed an individual who met with the other person, like the case, the facts yeah. of this case, I'm a hundred percent on board as NMX doing this well, also still no. Oculus is crap. That company, I like their product mm-hmm. and I know that there's some good people that work there, but they got a ripe steaming pile of garbage, multiple piles of garbage within that company. That's probably shading my view a little bit. Also, I kind of hate some of the people that are there.
0: Well, okay. The, the separate issues there. And
1: sure it, it is, but, but I'm on you.
0: Whatever. Uh, here's my, my, t- unsurprising uh, no one. I'm, you know, I kind of feel like this is, um, I, obviously the merits of the case are not something I can speak to because I didn't listen to the whole thing and, you know, whatever. John Carmack says one thing, they say another, judge determined in their favor. So bully for them. Uh, it seems very clear to me they have no desire to take Oculus off the shelves. That doesn't hurt their business at all. It doesn't change anything. Uh, in, you know, Filing an injunction does nothing to help them out. They're not hurt in any way when I buy an Oculus Rift and use it. What they want is – which is buried at the end of this article is alternatively, if the court elects not to impose the injunction – it could grant the company an ongoing royalty. That's they want what compensation
1: they want. for the art they created? Crazy. They want a
0: royalty. They, they have no intention of yanking it off the shelves. They just want that sweet,
1: sweet moolah. Uh, well, which, you know, to be honest, it's not going to be much because these things aren't really selling. But they 100% <laughs> should get that. They 100% should get that. Maybe, but it's – I don't know. What do you mean maybe? It's, it's – if, if Assuming the facts presented – are accurate if a company stole code and is that using that and it's fundamental in creating the thing that they are putting out yeah you got to pay the person for that a hundred percent come okay. on fair enough your love uh, of the product get in the way
0: no no i well you're, you're letting your hate of the people get in the way no i'm just also saying that that makes me root against them i i, well, I want to bring steve into this but i i will <laughs> just say that it's not just my love of the product it's i it's my distaste for the methodology it's yeah, we'll yank it off the shelves, but it's not really what we want. We have no desire to do that. We just want to get paid, and the judge didn't you know, award, didn't award us as much money as we thought we should get. They you're got making they got an, an assumption. Got,
1: what? You're making an assumption. Okay. They're 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 using they're within their legal rights to say, hey, we want to pull us off the shelves. If you don't want to do that, this is another thing that we're okay with. Like, if the, all they wanted was a royalty, they could have just straight up asked for a royalty. They like, did, and too. they were
0: told no. They got $50 million instead of $500 million, That so wasn't
1: a—no, ro- that well, wasn't a royalty they, that they didn't have win the damages money. claims that they sought. They've I will saw, sit down with they, you. If they'd got
0: $500 do you think they would have asked for the royalty?
1: Hell yes. No. Hell yes. Why would you stop then? <laughs> okay. A hundred percent yes. Then that's gross, too. <laughs> it's not—this isn't about—do you know what's gross? Do you know what's Gross stealing a company's code using that's it as your they, own they, they, lying they, 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 about it for years and putting up a poster boy to tout your technology and then hiding all of the hateful things he's been doing well, that's and then not even you're addressing you're the fact that a member of your community is out there diddling kids you're
0: conflating a whole bunch of issues and you're Correct. Using- Okay, fair enough. Steve, and what's, your, what's your take? I feel like I'm being dragged
2: into an argument between my parents here. You know, it's like, kid, yeah. come here, pick a side. Who's right, mom or dad? No, I mean, I I understand uh, I'm with Christian in the sense that, uh, you know, part of me is is kind of grossly, inwardly cheering about this because I've really disliked, um, some key people uh, at Oculus and some things they've done and i and I've been, and I've not been a fan, even though it's been necessary for for the, the advancement of the Oculus, I've not been a fan of the whole Facebook sale and, and what's gone down since. But I mean if they if if really what they are after is, is royalties, then by, by all means, or, or you know, a, a cash selling by all means they're entitled to that. I just worry about this having a, a larger chilling effect um on VR as a whole. I mean this is an industry that aside from Sony apparently is still working hard Trying to make itself known to consumers. And we've got this already this sort of weird beta versus VHS kind of thing between Oculus and and Vive. And it's getting a little better now in that the, 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 the platforms are a little more similar with Oculus touch being out now. They're a little more similar. So it's a little easier for developers to develop for both, but I don't want to see, I don't want to see things being torn apart. I want to see, you know, a cohesiveness in VR. I want to see kind of a united front and. I'm not sure how much a lawsuit like this actually bubbles out to the, to the general public. I have no idea if the, the man on the street would be aware of this going on, but it kind of just, uh, it, it's a bit of a, 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 paints the, paints the biz in a bit of a, a, a bad light. Um, and part of me too is also just like grabbing the popcorn and seeing how this plays out because it's, it's a real clash of the titans here. And it's, uh, it's one of the most unfortunately entertaining. Legal battles we've seen in the in the industry in a while. Um, I do hope it settles in a way that that protects Oculus, keeps Oculus on the shelf. You know, it's not going to help anybody if, if Oculus is taken out of the game. But uh, man, five hundred million bucks. Although, didn't Facebook say something like five hundred million bucks is ultimately not really going to impact our bottom line as a company? It was somewhat almost like you know, it's a lot of money, but it's not really a lot of money to us.
0: Well, also, certainly Facebook is you know got deep pockets. So there's no one arguing that.
1: For the audience, yes, I realize I was conflating arguments to make a exaggerated point, but leaving all of that out of it, just legally speaking, I 100% think that ZeniMax should pursue this, and assuming the facts are accurate, they are 100% entitled to it, not taking into account people at either company. If one company rips off technology and it's required to use for their technology— they need to either stop making that thing that way and come up with their workaround that's their own work that they created, or they need to compensate that other company for that work that they stole.
0: Well, 100%. okay, so you you're you're technically correct, right? And and I and I know that everyone's thinking, oh, Jeff loves VR, so he's trying to defend VR. He, that's not the case. What I think is 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 gross. Is a dude works for a place, he invents a thing. Yes, contractually the company owns that thing. But that dude didn't use that thing for that company. That company wasn't going to use that thing. He gets hired by a different place. And that thing that he was working on while he was at that company is used by the new company to actually make a thing. And they never would have used that thing at the old company. And so that now that because of our legal system, all of what you're saying is technically correct. But I'm saying that the moral high ground that you seem to be perching yourself on is is not particularly solid I, I it's, it's legally solid it is legally solid but I don't think it is it's not like oh they have every right to to, to somebody stole their sh-. it's not it's not
1: well, so I ZeniMax it's didn't saying. make a VR headset but to say that they wouldn't use the technology is you don't know that they were they, they were making this thing they had this tech sitting around That's it's within the scope of the type of thing they do and they then saw to have
0: an opportunity because somebody sold something for a billion dollars they saw some opportunity to get paid and they're pursuing that opportunity, which is well within their rights. I'm just saying it's
1: distasteful to me. That's all I'm saying. You're so, you're so wrong. I'm sorry. I love you, but you are so wrong. I probably, yeah. I mean, I'm
0: clearly legally wrong, but I don't, I'm not a fan of, <laughs> of, of that, that system all the time.
2: So there has to be some kind of recourse here though. Like it's, if you come into my house and you steal some games from my collection that I had no intention of, of playing um, or playing again, and I can't just say okay, that's fine. You know, that
0: that's not a, way th- that analogy is flawed. We don't need to talk about this. It's
1: anymore. not though. <laughs> this isn't some. This isn't some uh, copyright patent troll. This was a company that made the thing themselves. This this isn't some other company that bought some other company that bought some tech that bought some IP that then. That's not what I'm saying. Part- it is
0: either. I'm saying True, that a, a, a guy was working on something and he happened to be employed by one company. And that, that comp- and he was just happened to be working on that thing. They, yes, they were paying him at the time. Yes, he was under contract with that company, but they w- were not going to be using that code. It, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're, we're spending way too much time on this. And there's lots of more fun <laughs> stuff to talk about. It's- um, so let's move on, uh, to the playlist. But first, let's thank our sponsor. Cause that's something we can all agree on. Uh, if you are getting in a pants crapping argument with your, with your friend, you don't want to stink. You want to wear good underpants. How's that for a segue, right? Yes. Mack Weldon, guys. Mack Weldon has antimicrobial underpants. They have actually very comforting underpants. I'm wearing some right now, in fact. Uh, I wear them nearly every day because they're the highest quality underpants I've got. For too long in my life, I didn't pay any attention to the kind of uh, basics that I bought. Uh, t-shirts, undershirts, you know, uh, underpants, socks. They were all the cheapest thing. If I was at a big box store, I'd throw a couple in the cart and not think about it. And they would wear out quickly. They would be uncomfortable. They they would stink, perhaps. I'm not saying that for me, maybe, you know, they could or could not. Eh, who knows? It's anybody's guess. Uh, but now I have opened my eyes to high-quality undergarments, basics that actually are designed well, that are actually – there's actually care given to them. They're not just – Made in, you know, whatever. It's, it, it, these are like silver underwear, they're called. They're a line of silver underwear and shirts. These are naturally antimicrobial. These are comfortable. These are uh, delivered to you in nice packages, smartly designed, premium fabrics. And it's easy to buy them. You don't have to go to some big box store and waste your afternoon, uh, you know, waiting in line. You just do it online, and it comes to your house in a cool package. Done, done, done. You feel better. Plus... We're going to give you 20% off your order. All you got to do is go to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Use promo code D-L-C when you check out. 20% off. Boom. Just like that. That's pretty great. MacWeldon is uh, it's something I wear. It's something I use. And I think you'll find a lot of use out of it yourself. MacWeldon.com. Promo code D-L-C. Ooh, it's a flame. That the beginning of the year would be so chock full of legit Game of the Year contenders and so many things to play. I mean, it is cramped. It's like if this was happening in November, October, November, I, I would think it was more normal. I would think it was actually a packed fall. Uh, it, it massive stuff. But Steve's here. He's got himself uh, a, little, a little thing in his lap right now. We want to <laughs> switch. Over to hearing oh, him talk about it. Nice effect. Uh, nice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so I don't have a Switch. Christian doesn't have a Switch, but you do. You've been playing that Breath of the Wild. First, let's start with the hardware itself. Uh, what are your take? We've heard some some rumblings about Joy-Con controllers losing their connection. Yeah. Some issues. like, Have you experienced that? I actually have not,
2: and I have heard that from some of my uh, fellow game journalists that they have been experiencing some problems, especially with the left Joy-Con losing connection. Now, i got to say that I've spent a lot of time, because I have a, a Pro Controller as well, so I've been spending a lot of time playing with the Pro Controller, but I've also tried it with the Joy-Cons separately detached, one in each hand. I've tried it with the Joy-Cons in the, the grip uh, device. No problems in terms of that. In fact, I'm actually kind of surprised. I was really skeptical about the size of the Joy-Cons themselves. They're so wee. They're so tiny. They're tiny little things. And the little thumbsticks are so tiny as well. They're really <laughs> little things. But they actually work pretty well. I mean, given a choice, if I'm going to, especially for a game like Zelda or uh, any sort of action-oriented game, I'm going to choose the Pro Controller because it, it itself is a really nice piece of kit. It's a, it's a really well-made controller.
0: But... 70 more bones, though.
2: It is expensive. It's like almost, almost 100 bucks of tax here in Canada. Yeah, it's like that's like more than I make in a in a month. That's that puts me out of groceries for a month. But that's uh, the 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 joysticks, the controller themselves work better than I expected. They're more responsive uh, than I expected. It's uh, it's it's possibly the smallest. I mean, I know we're talking about a hybrid device that's portable and home console. But if you're looking at it as a home console, it's possibly the smallest that's ever been released. I can't think of anything that that would qualify as a home console that is smaller physically than the switch. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's Nintendo. Nintendo's always doing something wacky. They've always got some kind of weird idea, and doesn't always work. It uh, doesn't always work in the long run, but it's always so much fun at the launch of a new Nintendo uh, console, a new Nintendo hardware. It's always so much fun because it's always something a little bit, or a lot different and that's what i love to sort of right off the bat about the switches it's different i it's the fact that i can i can pick it up and go play zelda and uh you know and i'm and having my morning constitutional or if i'm uh <laughs> on a bus ride as long as the bus doesn't last bus ride doesn't last more than three hours it's a uh, it's it's kind of fantastic to be playing true full console games with proper console controls on a handheld
0: device. And what do you find yourself most often doing? What configuration are you most often playing Zelda in?
2: I am most often playing with the Switch docked and playing with the Pro Controller on my TV. Um, However, I have, you know, when I'm, you know, bedtime. <laughs> it's bedtime. It's bedtime, so I'm just going to undock the Switch, go to bed, and then play in bed for another three hours. Um, I have been playing it as a, a portable slab quite a bit, too. And again, it's it's a slightly better experience, obviously, for a game like Zelda. You you know, you want to see the, the the whole world on a big screen, if possible. But it is a surprisingly satisfying experience to play it in portable mode as well.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so let's get to the game. I know that the actual review-review embargo is still in effect, so you can't give us review-review stuff, but you can give us sort of pre-review impressions of Zelda. I have heard it is the most difficult Zelda ever.
2: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> is that what your experience is as well?
2: Well, I have this bad habit in open world games. You know, this is uh, this is probably the first time we've seen a true open world in Zelda. And I have a bad habit, and I did this in, in in Horizon as well, is I'll go straight off the main quest path at the beginning and just explore and, you know, try to find different places in the world. And I've discovered very quickly that this, even though it's an open world Zelda, it's not really meant for you to stray too far from what the intended Path is because you will get your butt handed to you again and again and again if you go too far if you sort of don't follow the kind of loose progression that that they have in mind you are gonna get in a lot of trouble <laughs> as you venture into certain areas you physically won't be able to access some areas because you don't have the the, the necessary uh, stamina to you know climb giant mountains or get across certain <laughs> obstacles. But um once but it's, it's not ha-
0: like not like previous Zeldas where you need the steel boots to get to a place or you need the fire arrows to get to a certain place or you need the boomerang it's not it's not gated in the traditional Zelda sense of you can't go here until you have item X that you get from temple yeah. Z One
2: right? thing I love about it is that it it really loads you up from the beginning with almost all the stuff you're going to use in the game. In fact, I thought it was going to pull uh, you know. Uh, a Metroid, I thought it was going to, or you know, what so many games do where they give you all the powers in the beginning and they say, Oh, ho, ho, I hope you enjoyed having these powers. And now you're, they're all taken away. Go find them one by one again. That's not the case. You are in the, the sort of opening, you know, I guess tutorial type uh, area. You get four of the main abilities that you're going to have throughout the game and they're not, you know, yanked away from you. And you get a device you're going to, that you need to leave that area. And that's essentially. All you need to use to get through, at least, you know, I'm about 25 hours in. That's still all you need to get through the game. But again, it's, it's, there are areas you dare not go to. I've heard of people doing a speed, you know, a speed run straight for the boss, straight for, you know, Ganon. Um, obviously getting slaughtered as soon as they get there. But the fact that you can actually do that in this game is pretty impressive. The fact you can go to any part of the world is impressive. One thing I'm also really enjoying about it is, is, And this may sound a little weird, is is how actually difficult it is to get to certain parts of the world. It's not just run from point A to point B. It's you gotta think about it. You gotta look at the terrain, you gotta study your map, you gotta figure out, okay, I can get up in this tower here, unlock this area, so I have, you know, kind of a waypoint, I have a a toehold in this area, and from that I can try to figure out how I'm getting to this city or how I'm getting to this location I need to visit. It's the the verticality in the world is staggering. Um, from from the deep canyons to the high mountains. It's like it is Super vertical. So climbing comes into it a lot. uh, Using your your glider comes into a lot. And just figuring out how to get from point A to point B is kind of its own uh, mechanic in itself.
0: Uh, our friend Jose Sanchez, uh, we've Oops. all, you and I worked with, uh, many times is in the chat room right now. And he, uh, he finished, I guess he finished Zelda last night. He was dropping some of his impressions. Um, I'll see if they match up with yours. He said, uh, the Zelda parts are really good. Uh, breaking of weapons and shields get, uh, uh, yes, the grind is real. Uh, he says that, uh, he wishes there were more dungeons and it's very hard for stupid reasons. Um, I heard that there are these shrines. uh, There's a whole bunch of them, and uh, these uh, optional shrines. Is that? I guess that's different from dungeons.
2: Yeah, the shrines are. I I, I've loved. I've done about twenty five shrines now, and I love the shrines. They are self-contained puzzles. Um, the initial ones you find closer to your home starting point are, you know, naturally quite easy. Um, I've yet to find one that I couldn't, well not only that I couldn't finish, but that I couldn't get the bonus chests in as well. But some of them really make you think they're really well designed, very small, smallish, like you know, one big room or you know two or three rooms puzzles. And they're kind of necessary. I think maybe that's what Jose's talking about with the grind is for every four shrines you complete, you can trade in those four orbs to either get a new heart container or um, upgrade your stamina wheel. And you need both those things. I mean, you've... I tried to go into a... Um, um, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without being too spoily, but there's four sort of primary locations you have to visit to advance the story. And I tried to go into in one of them with with what I thought was a lot of hearts. I had six hearts. And I just got tuned again and again and again by the boss. So I got my put my butt out of there. Casting in some orbs, upgraded my hearts, made some potions that temporarily jacked my hearts way up, and I was able to beat that boss. But um I think what Jose means by the dungeons is that there are very few sort of what we think of as Zelda dungeons. There's a lot of mini dungeons in, in the shrines, not a lot of really big multi-part dungeons. Mm. But I have to say, too, one of the things I do like about the dungeons, and something that made me feel real stupid, is I was in one of these four primary locations you have to complete, one of the four sort of early or big main dungeons, and you have to visit six different locations within this location. And I was having so much trouble getting to them, physically getting linked to these these five points on this uh, this little map. And it only I only realized by the time I got to the sixth point that there is a mechanic within the dungeon where you can affect the environment itself. And again, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody because it's really cool to discover. I hadn't done that. I had basically MacGyvered my way around all five of these problems and obstacles wow. using kind of like the weird emergent gameplay that exists in this game. The, the ability to put objects in stasis and then attack them or, or uh, uh, damage them. And then once they pop out of stasis, all that force acts on the object at once. And that's a really powerful tool in this game. And doing that and using, you know, magnetism to uh, to creative effect, I was able to f- finagle my way through five of these things. Got to the sixth one. I'm like, I need to be able to actually move the environment to do this. And I thought, oh, wait, I can. I just didn't notice that. Wow. So I really love kind of like – we've seen a lot, in a lot of the videos leading up to this, the, the weird kind of emergent moments that happen in Zelda, like uh, – the physics, it's so weird to have a Zelda with a really cool physics engine. You know, stuff affected by gravity and wind and, uh, it just, it makes the encounters when you're attacking the, you know, the, the goblin or the moat goblin or boat goblin camps, it almost makes it a little bit like a mini far cry. You know, like, how am I going to ah. approach this? Uh, which, which device should I use? Should I, you know, should I? Get up high and snipe, should I sneak around? Should I try to, you know, use a fire arrow and blow up the barrels? There's a little bit of thought that goes into approaching encounters with a large number of enemies. And you've got to think on the fly, you've got to think which weapons am I going to use and which tactics am I going to use. But Jose is right, the the weapon the weapon breakage is probably my biggest friction point right now. It just um, and and you have a very low weapon inventory capacity at first. Again, there's a there's a mechanism for expanding that that you discover relatively early on. But that is another part of the grind you've got to find certain objects that allow you to expand your inventory because you need to have you know eight or ten weapons on hand because you know that in a in a series of big battles your your favorite weapons are gonna break
0: man it it sounds like so many departures from the Zelda formula uh the that emerging gameplay you're talking about where you can actually circumvent obstacles without having to figure them out or figuring them out differently. I should say but even more than that, it seems like you know in a in a traditional zelda game that we've we've experienced for you know. 30 years, uh, getting to a boss means you are supposed to be at that boss and it's just about figuring it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It sounds like that's not the case anymore. You can, it's not about figuring it out. It's about being prepared and having enough stuff on you.
2: Yeah. One of the frustrations I found with the game is, um, uh, again, there's, four locations you had to visit in the world. But you don't... There's no real hint at what order you should be visiting them in. And I like that. I like that. That's, that's a that's a great thing. I want an open world game where I decide where I'm going to go. But I learned very quickly that uh, two of the locations I tried to get to were essentially... In a way, they were gated. They were inaccessible because I didn't have the right um, clothing uh, hmm. to access them. So I had to, by trial and error, visit all four of these places. And they are hard to get to and figure out, okay, this one is not too tough, and then, not surprisingly, that boss was manageable. And then another one that I found, okay, I can survive here, I can get here. That boss felt like it was sort of matched the level I was at at that point. Um, Right now, at the point I'm at in the game, I'm just in in, in the third of these four locations, and I'm able to actually survive in this location, so now it's a matter of of, uh, going through the process of tackling the... The objective in this third location, but it's—I um, mean, it's—you can't fault them for that, though. They—they they promised an open-world game, and they can't say oh, it's going to be an open-world game, but we're going to, you know, ch- choke point you or shovel you down a linear path. Um, you're free to explore, but it's kind of like the, I guess the—the the older Elder Scrolls game, where the enemies did not. Level with you. Right. If you wandered to the wrong area. You were just, you know, you would die. And it's like that. It's 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 a process of figuring out where you're supposed to be and when you're supposed to be there. And uh, it would be it would be a little more frustrating if not for the fact that there is so much to see along the way. There are so many cool little secrets and outposts and like, um, uh, you know, secret locations that 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 people will hint at. They don't mark it on your map. They'll say, "Oh yeah, if you go." northeast of the giant rock on the, you know, the snowy mountain, and you'll find this weird thing, and you go there, and it's like, oh my god, what is this? I've never seen this. What This is so cool. What do I do here? Um, there's just so much of that scattered through this huge world that I don't really begrudge the time it takes to get from one place to the other. I don't really begrudge the fact that I'm wandering into places that I'm not necessarily supposed to be yet.
0: So overall, you have you're, you have very positive feelings.
2: Yeah. My biggest problem with Zelda, unfortunately, is I wish I had played it first and then Horizon Zero Dawn because huh. it is hard to go from what is essentially possibly one of the most beautiful console video games I've ever seen and one of the best designed open world games I've ever played to Zelda, which is... Experimenting with open world for the first time, and it's still very much a Zelda game. It has a Zelda feel. It's not trying to be an RPG. It's not even trying to be kind of a uh, you know an action RPG in the sense that uh, something like Horizon is with you know skill trees and 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 really complex uh, um, you know crafting systems and stuff like that. Although there's you can cook about a billion different dishes in it, <laughs> but it's it's hard because the Switch hardware, as we know, is not even quite up there with the PS4 and the Xbox One. So it's, it's a little bit jarring. And I know it's an apples and oranges comparison. I know it's not necessarily fair, but I have found it hard to go from this open world game where you ride around on animals and you shoot arrows and, you know, unravel mysteries and you explore different kind of varied climates. I've found it hard to go from one on the PS4 to something else on the Switch. And it just, there are moments of beauty in Breath of the Wild, but it obviously just doesn't quite look the same, yeah. and that's not that's not a knock against it. Again, it's a limitation of the hardware, and, and it's by design. It's a very different aesthetic, but it's. Um, I really wish i had played them, been able to play them in reverse order. Played Zelda first, and then Horizon.
0: It's an unfortunate timing of these two really massive, uh, interesting games uh, that are that are very similar in a lot of ways, just yep. uh, yeah. structurally, you know. <laughs> Um, it, 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 if they had been separated by months instead of weeks, I think, uh, you or days. days. Yeah, days. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's wild. Breath of the, um, but let's transition to talking a little bit more about Horizon. I gushed about it last week and I know that you, it sounds like you are loving it as well. I know that you platinum trophied it. Um, yeah. I finished the the main storyline again, and I could probably count on one hand, maybe <laughs> maybe on, on half of a hand, <laughs> how many games I've finished the main story on and then gone back to finish up more stuff. Right. <laughs> because usually, you know, these big games, these big open world games are are such an endeavor and you're you're doing so many cool things and, and, and you get to the end and it's like, oh I did it. And yeah, maybe there's even some still co- some cool stuff, but oftentimes it feels so f- final, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, this game is just a world I want to be in, and every single thing there is to do, I want to do. Evidently, it sounds like every single thing there is to do, you did already. <laughs> so, tell me about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not a trophy chaser. I, uh, uh, since they introduced trophies on PlayStation, which is PS3 era, I think, right? Um yeah. mm-hmm. I've platinumed exactly 3 games. Uncharted 2, not Uncharted 3 or Uncharted 4. Uncharted 2, Rocket League and now Horizon Zero Dawn and um I did sort of obsessively chase one trophy because I was 90% of the way there with the trophies and I and I, I had to locate this one object to to finish it. But I'm like you. I was listening to you last week and I was like I was actually getting kind of like like, short of breath, listening to your enthusiasm for this game, because everything you were saying was so. I just, I'm like, yes, exactly, yes, oh my goodness, yes, it's all so true and so, so right. I mean, the game is not, I don't want to to hype people up so much that they're expect, expecting something miraculous from this game, but it is truly one of the best looking, um, best designed, best. I just, the, what really stands out about me, what really stands about Horizon for me is the. The fiction of the world. Gorilla went so deep into the fiction. And I, I know that they did this on the Killzone games, but I enjoyed playing the Killzone games, but I was never interested in the, you know, the origins of the Hellgast or, you know, right. the United Federation of Planets, whatever the good guy's team is called. I can't remember the name of the main character in Killzone Shadowfall. He was just such a you know a blank slate. But they have invested so much in creating two sort of layers of fiction in the world of, of Horizon, the, the one that you play in. And then the one that sort of exists in the past that you find out about as you play through. And there were, I have never been so completely hooked by a game's core mystery uh, or mysteries as I have with Horizon. The 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 mysteries of where did Aloy come from and what happened to the world. And those two things I was so curious about. And as you play through the game, they do such a good job of just giving you like dollops of backstory and information that, that fill in Aloy's origin, that fill in what happened to the world. Um, that's part of the reason why I went after so many of the collectibles in the game, because it's, there, there are set, all the collectibles sort of speak to the past, the world, especially, the, um, the vantages. If you're going to go after one set of collectibles in the game, do the vantages because it's, it's, I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's, it, it gives you literally, literally a glimpse into the past And, um,
0: super cool uh, the way they do that.
2: Yeah. And talks about the events that were happening during this major event in the past. And as you, I don't know about you, but as you, as I played through the game, every time I came across, you know, some new piece of information about the past, I was so fascinated by this, 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 this fiction that they had created underneath the main, which, which in itself, the main world is like, it's, it's, I don't want to necessarily make a Game of Thrones comparison, but they have really fleshed out these these tribes and these very very different societies that are that are contained in different geographical areas in the world and the world itself, from you know snowy mountain peaks to to desert you know, deserts to to jungles. I just the variety in the world, just, yeah. Like you said, I want to go back. I wanted to stay in it longer, and uh, I think that's part of the reason why I spent so many hours in that game. And I just. I feel like as soon as we get through this weird spring glut of games, you know, as soon as we get through uh, Zelda and and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to Mass Effect, through, um, Wildlands, and then Mass Effect. Once Mass Effect is in the bag, I think I've got to go back and uh, and begin a second playthrough of, of Horizon.
0: Yeah, it, yeah, you've said so many things that I uh, applaud and under, underline. Um, it It does a thing toward the end where it like gives you a massive info dump. you know it, it, there's a there's a sequence, you know, as you're kind of getting toward the the climax of the main story, where you're just getting a bunch of information uh, you know in a dense period of time. And I have complained about that in video games before. I, the first mass effect really does that, where like in the last few hours, you're like going to these terminals and it's just like, here's all the information about everything. It's like, oh,, tedious for some reason in this game it's not tedious and maybe it's because the fiction itself is really it's it's not um so esoteric and so out there that it that it's off-putting it, it it's it really is grounded in something that's relatable and human and all of the you know audio logs and everything they they come from this very human place of 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 fundamental story and Aloy herself is such a really well-drawn character that I was like relishing finding out all that stuff. And, uh, even in the, I guess, you know, fairly rudimentary ways that you find them out, like you'll walk up to a thing, push a button, and then watch a, you know, watch a hologram tell you a a story, um, which is pretty boring, you know, in a lot of games here, I just, I, I ate it up. Um, And, and other, you know, there's another, there's, it it commits the cardinal sin at the very end of the game. Like it puts a timer on the screen. Mm -hmm. And I like, to me, like that, that was, should ruin a game for me, but it, it didn't, you know, it manages to just be so good for throughout. And, and it does open world pacing in a way that's better than any game I've ever seen. It creates, uh, there's not fluff or filler stuff to do even the, the like you said the collectibles all have tangible relationship to the game world and it's so fun to just take down enemies like just that process is really a blast
2: yeah I mean if this was if this was just an open world game with a mechanic combat mechanics we were used to it would still be an incredible game but the fact that they've they've invented these these 20 odd species of robot animals that all have their own Characteristics and and AI and animations and that you can fight them in such wild ways. Like you were saying uh, last week, the 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 way that you approach combat with these creatures is it's it's so it's so ugh, crunchy and tactical. It's like okay, I'm going to set up a perimeter of tripwires. Um, I'm going to scan it and find out where its weak points are. Okay, it's, this is this part of the animal is is uh, weak to fire. I'm going to load up my fire arrows. I'm going to use you know arrows that knock bits off. I mean the fighting the um, what are the big kind of the, the thunder jaws, the big sort of almost dinosaur things yeah. that have the giant fricking guns on the side, you know, knocking those two guns off first and then kind of wearing it down then running in, picking up one of the guns and firing at the animal with its own weapon. It's just the combat system alone would be enough to, to be really excited about this game. The world alone would be enough to be really excited. And the fact that they've merged these two is just, it's, I, I mean, I had pretty high expectations. I played a good chunk of uh, Horizon at, at E3 last year and really enjoyed it. But I was sort of going into it thinking, okay, well, this is Guerrilla. These, these are the kill zone guys doing an open-world game. Yeah, okay, the combat's going to be kind of fun. It's going to look great, but it's going to be shallow in other ways. But it's not. It's just, it's just so smartly done and finely tuned and with a backstory that, unlike a game like um, Halo, where... Uh, you know that universe has its own incredibly rich backstory. I've never found it accessible. I've never really gotten into it because it's so, as you were saying, it's it's kind of esoteric. It's kind of not really human. And everything about this game, because it, you know, it it's about the fall of civilization. It's about us. What happens to us? Everything about the 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 backstory and the fiction just found so interesting that, like you said, I couldn't wait to get another chunk of of what had happened in the past. What was going on right now?
0: Yeah. The I, I can't remember whose quote this is. I, I wish I could attribute it to the right person. Uh, maybe it was Justin McElroy. Uh, anyway, somebody said, um, Horizon Zero Dawn doesn't reinvent the wheel. It just shows you how fun wheels can be. <laughs> That's a you good quote. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, we'll I'll be talking lots more about that in the coming weeks as well. Uh, Christian, I want to hear about Halo Wars 2.
1: Well, I mean, it's the, it's the game that no one's going to play, right? Like, talk about... <laughs> <laughs> Talk about coming out the wrong time for this team. I feel I feel really bad for them. Is um, Ghost
0: Recon that game or Halo Wars Two that game or which which, the, which is the game that no one's going to play because of these?
1: There's a couple, right? Uh that's unfortunate. Um, so I have I'm maybe I've heard it's only five to six hours of the campaign. Uh, I'm probably a little over halfway through the single player campaign. For background on me, I am not an RTS player. Um, I think I, you know, dabbled a little bit in the original Halo Wars because that's the promise of these games, right? Like it's an IP that us console gamers know and love. And hey, this is an entry point. This is a way in for this style of game for you. Come play these. I kind of bounced off halo wars one wasn't really able to stick with it but i figured i'll give this one a, a shot and see and it was getting pretty favorable reviews and people said the um controller controls you know worked if not quite as intuitive ever as a keyboard and mouse will be for these games um you know i wanted to dive in and play with it and so from an rts noob um (laughs) it's hard man like i played through the tutorial i'm playing on easy and i went through the tutorials and hopefully i can use this game as a jumping off point for two questions for for both of you and for the audience as well um but i went through the tutorial and started playing some missions and it's just like i found myself forgetting how to do the things i wanted to do like i knew how to do them but having them happen seamlessly or quickly was was uh, a chore and more difficult and i found myself failing for those reasons instead of failing for strategy but 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 i hear the campaign ends uh on a sour note without kind of any resolution i don't know people are like oh why is it always the second halo games that are awful like this but man the cut scenes the pre-rendered cinematics. This game, holy crap! I want that Halo movie. <laughs> it is inc- like the trailers for this game were epic. The in the the cutscenes, the cinematics between missions are just jaw dropping. The score, the sound effects, the the animation, the graphics. It, I'm I'm like watching it, just like oh yeah, I'm gonna kick some butt. And then I'm like, why am I playing an RTS? Oh, <laughs> I want to be the guy on the warthog shooting all the dudes, not this. Uh, select them, send them there. <laughs> so like, um, and then it was like you just annihilate, and I was like, yeah. And so it's kind of this um, tale of, of of two attitudes, I guess. Um, I have like I think like my first ninety minutes are up on my Twitch and archived on my YouTube as well, which is just uh, Christian Spicer seven one three. So you can see me struggle with that. But the questions that I kind of have for you guys for my playtime with this game is is one: How often do you? Take the time to learn a game style you don't know or aren't comfortable with. Jeff, I know you—you know—you committed to MOBAs, and now you you love them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of gamers, you know, you kind of fall into this. Your comfort zone. You play the types of games you play or the alternative of that is games are quote unquote mainstream that, you know, you pick them up and you play them and they show you, you know, you just kind of like press X to mourn, press A to jump, like you're guided the whole way, um, versus taking the time to learn this thing. The second part of that question then is an effective tutorial. So I played through the tutorial, uh, the begin, basic one and advanced one once on the stream and then again when I went back to play the game later. And I find it's not a tutorial. It's what I would call an animated instruction book, where it's just like, press A to select a troop. Then you press A, and it's like, great! (laughs) Press X to send them here. You did it! (laughs) And I'm like, uh, great, I'm going to forget that. You know, like, you go through, it tells you every control in two minutes, and I haven't been tutored (laughs) in any way, shape, or form. I've read an instruction book, and I feel like that creates then the barrier to me learning this new style of game or I need to sit down and commit to it the way you did to a MOBA or you did to a Souls game. So Steve and, and Jeff, to you guys, I guess Steve, start with you. Like how often do you go outside of your genres of choice and challenge yourself with the new genre if ever? And if so, what do you think could be done to make that more accessible if anything?
2: I, I gotta say, I'm actually guilty, uh, quite guilty of that. I, I have my genres that I stick with um, partly for due to time constraints. It's It's like... When somebody says, "Oh, this show on Netflix is is really quite good," you should you should check it out. I'm like, "Okay, cool. I'll put it on my queue of twenty other series that I want to check out uh, that I'll have a little bit of a higher priority for me." But I find the thing that turns me and this this happened with the Souls games. Bloodborne was my entry into the the Souls games. I thought there's no, absolutely no way that I could could appreciate a game that was punishingly hard and you know required a lot of um, you know uh, sussing out boss patterns of weaknesses and weaknesses and a lot of quick reflexes but the thing is i mean and this is maybe what i would discover if i if i tried halo wars 2 is that if the game is well done it doesn't matter really what genre it is i i have i played through a chunk of the original halo wars um i like you i'm not an rts guy um i enjoyed the experience to to an extent but there was nothing about that first game that really kept me in it that kept me wanting to come back Um, other than actually the cutscenes again in that game were were pretty cool. It was cool to
1: see the Halo
2: universe being expanded upon um, outside of the core games. But um, the only thing that would really get me into a game like that is word of mouth. Like if I was listening to DLC and Christian said Halo Wars 2 is awesome, that alone might get me to check it out but um
1: but what did that mean the rts of it because i feel like the strength of that game if anything is the compelling nature of the rts strategy um and you know how you're competing against these factions or doing whatever or building your armies and it's like that intricacy that if you're not a fan of that genre i don't know if it would appeal to you anyway it'd be like saying you know like listening to jeff sing here's praise week after week like it's if it's not for you it's not for you you know what I mean? Like, someone loving it doesn't make it... And it's not the type of game that is like um, Tomb Raider, where I feel like anyone that plays video games, you can put in Tomb Raider, and you can finish the game. Mm-hmm. Right? I feel like but other genres aren't like that.
0: No, I, I think that's your bias showing. I think... Um, don't probably. You, don't you remember... um you remember when we hosted that, uh, that st- that stream from the Buffalo Wild Wings? And we yeah, were interviewing those, uh, those former pro League of Legends dudes. And, um, the guy's like, Oh, I'm, they were part of the event that we were hosting. They had to play games that were outside their wheelhouse, like third person action games or 2D platformers. And the guy's like, I'm just terrible at these games. I don't, I don't play video games. I play League of Legends. And I think yeah. that's, that's the situation is any of these things can be similarly narrowing and you can, you know, you can be really, really good at one thing and just com- something else can be completely outside your wheelhouse because you were raised, uh, you know, you grew up in an, in an era where everything led to tomb Raider, right? Every, every, yeah, every video right. game, you know, uh, evolution led, was a direct linear progression to tomb Raider, <laughs> you know? Um, whereas, Uh, kids now are, you know, they just jump right into a MOBA and that's all they know or whatever, or Minecraft. Like there's kids that just play Minecraft and the games now too are so deep and, and the, the, the amount of things you can do and the, the nuance is so present in these systems and these worlds that, you know, it's not like getting good at Mega Man. It's like you can get good at Mega Man because you memorize patterns, right? You get good at playing Minecraft or playing uh, a MOBA or playing Ark Survival because you figure out the rule patterns of the world and you you experiment and you have a very, very deep knowledge base. You know, that's – you can commit yourself to one of these games and, and they're so deep that they engender that level of commitment. It's, um, it's a different so what- landscape.
1: What brought you to – because I feel like you have two examples, and one you've bounced off of. So I think that's maybe more interesting. Like Heroes, I remember you've talked – you tried a whole bunch of MOBAs. What was it? Raptor Man or whoever you're – Oh, uh, That you're, was – uh, <laughs> Raptor Man's from uh, DCUO. That's a MMO. Right. That's what I'm saying. You're DCUO, you, you know, you've bounced into a bunch of these. Uh, you wanted to give MOBAs a chance, and then Heroes finally clicked. But before that, was it Dark Souls 2 – was the one that clicked for you, and you were a Souls guy. Uh, Dan Trachtenberg, kind of, I feel, I believe, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, got That's you into correct. it, and yeah. then you and he got me into it around when Bloodborne came out, and you're like, dude, it's gonna be great. You need to do it, and then I did. And you haven't Bloodborne, you haven't Dark Souls, Dark Souls 3'd, correct? But yeah. you were willing to put in the time to learn that, and you you didn't at Neo, right? So like, I'm curious, you know, what brings you into a genre you're not familiar with, and then what keeps you from coming back to it, and then what what pulled you? Why did you want to figure out a MOBA? Like, why, why did you commit to that in a way that's like, I'm going to do this? Because I remember the early days of that too. That sucked for you. Like, that was hard. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> have the shows to listen to. Definitely.
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't, there's certain things that click and certain things that don't, I suppose, just like anything else. But I, I definitely like, I think I have um, a very acute sense of FOMO. And, uh, when there's a whole group of people who are like, this is the most amazing thing. There are people, you know, going to the international and watching Dota and people, you know, like there's 28 million people concurrently playing League of Legends right now. What am I missing? You know, there, everybody talks about Dark Souls and, and how uh, just absolutely rapturous an experience that is. I'm missing out. What, that's, that's really my underlying motivation in life is FOMO. Um, so. I think that motivates me to dig a little deeper and commit a little more to uh, understanding what, what, what this is all about. What's all the commotion about over here. Um, And then there are certain things that, you know, I've tried repeatedly to get into Forza because I hear you talk about how much you love it. It's so good. I know. And I, I I respect that. It's just it's never going to be a game that I love. And I want to. Every time a new one comes out, I get it and I play it for a couple hours. And I'm like, ah, this is still not burnout, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but uh,
1: – it's such an interesting thing because i think as i'm playing halo wars like i'm a guy i love the halo universe and the halo lore and i think what bungie did initially with it and even the way Three's expanded it it's such a cool world where it has a bunch of proper nouns that you know seem intimidating at first but it's not full of them it's not just like and then the breachers came to the reavers to talk to the founders who picked up a sculver and dug with a weaver in a founded the finding of the found it's not that intimidating but there is this deep world and this deep lore that was presented in the game not in uh what is it grimoire cards or whatever the way it is in destiny where it's like you love the lore read it on the internet on your own time (laughs) and i like the idea of these big epic battles that the way rts's handle them like i think that's what makes for honor and to some extent mobas fun is that there's all this stuff going on around you and then you're in it um and so i've always been attracted to them but my keyboard and mouse gaming skills have always been lacking so i keep waiting for this thing to click and being you know three hours whatever it is three four hours into the campaign i'm like i'm doing it i'm planning on easy because i don't think i could play on a harder difficulty but i'm just sitting here thinking i could be playing forza <laughs> i could <laughs> be playing well that's uh, overwatch or something else and it's like i guess it's just not f- for me, there's definitely,
0: I mean, I think uh, Steve's analogy, uh, analogy to um, Netflix shows is is apt here for me because uh, there's that thing where people are like, um, the show is amazing. I'm like, oh, cool. I want to watch it. And they're like, okay, the first five episodes suck. I'm like, <laughs> what? I don't want to spend five hours not liking something until I like it. Um, and that's kind of, I think... The same in, in a lot of these games where you really have to invest time, like for example, Heroes of the Storm. After the first hundred hours I put into it, man, it really got good. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so, uh, that therein lies a problem. Um, Christian has, yeah clearly crafted his own quick question segment out of the playlist. Uh, and we are running real long. but there's so much other stuff I want to talk about. This is, I think a great discussion. but uh, I do want to get to the actual quick question segment. I also want to get to VR talk because um, I want to talk about Rhombus of Ruin and some other stuff. But I'm really really genuinely thrilled. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not being facetious. I'm so excited to tell you guys about Blue Apron.
1: <laughs> I have been,
0: no joke, trying to get them to sponsor our show for over a year because I love their service so much. I was like, you guys don't understand. I genuinely love this thing. I tell everyone about it. Let me – pay me to do – that. No, pay, fund our show so that I can do that. Uh, And finally, they are a a sponsor, and it looks like they're going to be a long-term sponsor, which is really, really exciting to me because my wife and I absolutely love Blue Apron. It has completely changed our lives. What is Blue Apron? Blue Apron is the number one recipe delivery service in the country. Uh, They deliver fresh ingredients to your door and recipes every week. So what you get is three recipes – that you can choose from six, you you can whittle down to three, and you can, if you're a vegetarian, they have vegetarian options. If you're pescatarian, there's pescatarian options. There's, you know, some some wiggle room in there too. These recipes are universally delicious. I am not exaggerating to say, I we have never, ever, in the two and a half years we've been subscribed to Blue Apron, we have never had a, a recipe where, like, gross, let's throw this away. We have had, wow, that's really good, ranging to, Oh my God, that was amazing. If I had it in a restaurant, I would be impressed. And we made it ourselves. I would never considered myself to be a cook, a chef, uh, somebody that had those kinds of skills. And I was super intimidated because I don't know what to, I've cooked things in the past, but it's, you got to figure out what to make. And then you got to go to store and you buy the ingredients. And then you come home and you've got like, you know, a whole bushel of Basil and like I needed three sprigs of basil. I don't need this whole bushel. It's just going to go bad and stink up my fridge, and I'm going to feel wasteful. Blue Apron handles everything for you. They they help you decide what to make because the recipes are just show up at your door and they're awesome. And they only send you the amount of fresh ingredients that you need to make the thing. So if you need a sprig of basil, they send you a sprig of basil. That's it. There's no waste. There's no nothing stinking up your fridge. And I am actually getting chef skills. Like I can chop things now. I I wouldn't used to be able to chop things, but I can chop things. The recipes are clear. They're easy to follow. They tell you how to use it only uh, – make everything using only like one pan and one pot, some olive oil. Everything else is provided. Uh, they tell you how to do something. Like while this is is cooking, do this. So it's very clear. And because I've been doing it for two and a half years, like, I'm awesome at at chopping things. And there's always I- ingredients that I've never heard of before that, like, now I know about these things that I never knew about. Uh Last night, literally last night, we made udon noodles with baby bak choy. And uh it was delicious with, like, a soft-boiled egg. I mean, it was like something you'd get at a ramen place. I, I adore Blue Apron. I could not recommend it higher. It has literally changed my life. It's economical. Uh, we, we mean we, my wife and I save money. We eat healthier because we know exactly what's going in our food and we have the joy of cooking together. Like we, we set up our little baby son in his chair and we both cook the meal together. And it's this wonderful moment. If I was single and I was dating, man, I would have blue apron and you could invite a, a girl over or a boy over to, Cook a meal for them. What's more romantic and awesome than that? Guess what, guys? Because you listen to this show and because I begged and pleaded, we're going to give you three free meals to try out Blue Apron. Free. Three free meals. It's amazing. All you got to do is go to blueapron.com slash DLC, B-L-U-E-A-P-R-O-N.com slash DLC. Use that promo code, DLC, and You'll get three free meals. They'll know that it was a good idea to finally sponsor this show. Helps me out, helps them out, helps you out because it it will change your life like it changed mine. I honestly, I think that's my favorite thing Blue Apron. Blue Apron.com slash DLC. Ah. Let me start with uh, an email. I love this email. It comes from David from Weybridge in the UK. Uh, This is uh, sent to us to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. You can always send emails to us. We love getting them. Uh, He says, uh, Hi, guys. I just finished Resident Evil 7 in VR. Where do I start? I think all things considered, that was the greatest gaming experience of my life. I may have played better games, but not since walking into Play-To-Win in London's Oxford Street and seeing Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer arcade for the first time, have I been so affected and enthused about the future of gaming. I've made no secret about my enthusiasm for VR. However, if you had asked me if the format could currently sustain a 15-hour game, especially a first-person shooter, I would have quite, been quite doubtful. However, Capcom have somehow pulled it off. None of the reviews I read have done justice to how transformative an experience this is. My suspicion is most journalists maintained it in standard mode in order to publish as soon as the embargo dropped, with a cursory dip into VR for the extra paragraph. Consequently, observations were largely favorable, but also referenced the drop in graphical fidelity and, quote, «floating hands». What few of them have mentioned is how utterly immersive and terrifying playing RE in VR is. For those reactions, you needed to look to YouTube, online forums, and of course podcasts. To places where people, you know, actually played it. It's true, if you stop to look around, the graphics are a noticeable step down from current next-gen standards. However, they are still extremely good... And it's amazing how you don't notice the compromises when the experience is so immersive. For me, immersion trumps graphics every time. I can't stop thinking that this is the worst VR, this is the worst, worst VR will ever be. Resident Evil in VR is astonishing. Like the 486 and Doom, the Model 2 and Daytona, PS1 and Ridge Racer n64 and mario 64 it marries fantastic game design with new hardware to deliver a transformative epoch making experience it's just a shame that most people won't get to play it this way cheers wow wow i agree what do you think about that christian you've played a a a fair amount of it in vr right
1: yeah i mean i i i i love that it connected so well for him and i i'm not sure if it's that for me i I do applaud it for um its use and its effectiveness i I, you know i I don't want to necessarily i I like this email i don't want to sit here and 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 nitpick it while i I don't think it quite to me it doesn't quite live up to um those other examples he gives of doom and daytona and stuff like that mario 64 um I, I i think in vr there's still and it hasn't done, been done yet i I think there's still a way that is a new style of gameplay that's only possible in vr that's not just the feeling of immersion which is a lot don't get me wrong but i still think there, that that nut has yet to be fully cracked but we're we're getting there and i love that it's already connecting with people because what i agree with david the most is this is the worst it's ever gonna be and this is still pretty awesome so that's yeah. great what do you think, Steve?
0: Uh,
2: t- two things are kind of holding me back from from RE7 and VR. One is, and I know this has been fixed, but uh, the the demo I did at E3 made me physically ill, and it was the only time, the only VR demo that has really affected me that way. There was something about the combination of the controller and the, and the, the the headset that didn't work. And now, from what everything I've read, that is not a problem. This is this is no, there's no you know motion sickness. In the game now. Also, I um, I'm a little bit of a wuss, and I'm not sure I can handle a full-on horror experience in VR. I mean, I pooped my pants several times playing Until Dawn, and if I tried to play Until Dawn in the world of Until Dawn, I'm not sure my heart could handle it. Um, I would love to give it a shot because it really is right now the first kind of full-fledged, full-length uh, console game experience that, that you can play in VR. Um, and actually, you know, David's email, I mean, the, you know, I I can understand Christian has some, is, is trying to tone down the, the, the expectation a little, but the, 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 fact that you guys have loved it so much, the David's loved it so much and Jeth that you liked it so much, uh, makes me think I really got to give it a shot and, um, you know, I'll, I'll put on my, put on my brown pants and uh, <laughs> a few blankets on the couch and, uh, give it a try.
0: Well, where, I, where I agree with you is that, um, you know, it's one of those games where I have told myself, I'm going to go back and and finish it. And every time I'm like, okay, I got a couple of hours I could play R E seven. Oh boy. It sounds, it's going to be a, it's going to be a ex- feelings of my heart racing. are going to, you know what, maybe I'll just, I'll just jump back into horizon and I guess there's a few more quests I could clear up and I can almost done with everything. And yeah. So, um. I talk myself out of playing that game too often. It is so intense. Um, But, you know, that's to the game's credit. It's just not one of those ones that feels – it's like I really should watch Schindler's List. (laughs) You know? I know I'm going to be glad that I watched it. (laughs) So, have you uh, never
1: watched Schindler's List? No, I have, but okay, I'm just going say, hey, whoa, could that... <laughs> people say that,
0: or, you know, like, Boys right, Don't right. Cry, or one of those movies, or... Um,
1: you could, yeah, watch yeah, that, too. Yeah,
0: I've seen all of those, but you right. hear people say that. What I have played on PSVR is uh, the new Psychonauts game that just came out, Rhombus of Ruin, uh, and I found it completely delightful. I mean, it's a $20 game, uh, I bought it for $20, and I played through it in a sitting. I mean, it is not a long experience. I was probably done with it in two, three hours tops. I'm probably short of three. Um, so at that price point, I feel like I would be much more comfortable if it was $9.99, you know? I, I would say a must-buy for anybody with PSVR. At 20 it's a little, you know, I don't know, for that. But I guess people spend that much to go see a movie at this point. Anyway, it is an adventure game set in the Psychonauts universe, and uh you are – it does a really clever thing. You, you know, psychonauts are – they have various um psychic abilities, including being able to project themselves into other people's heads. And that is the only method of locomotion in this game. Everybody in this game is stuck in one spot in various locations. But you have the ability to put your consciousness in them to get different views of the environment and different access to information that helps you solve puzzles. And it very much is a – descendant of the uh you know point and click adventure game that double fine is so famous for um but d- done in a in a brand new way and uh, i thought i found it pretty clever in the in the sense that you are you know j- jumping between different different characters points of view and using that point of view to gather information or to affect certain things you can psychically you know knock things over lift things up move them around set them on fire Uh, blast them with a side blast, and different of those powers are required to solve different puzzles. The puzzles are not particularly difficult, uh, but, you know, clever and sort of outside the box sometimes. What this game really shines the most is just how it feels to be inside the Psychonauts universe, because it's gorgeous. It's Colorful and vibrant and feels like a three d animated movie that you are inside of, and so much of the game I was just agog looking around uh just amazed at the beauty of what I was witnessing. There's an awesome sort of boss battle at the end that's all done like a stop motion animated uh movie, and that is really clever and cool, you know it's got that um you know um. Tim Schafer, comedic bent. Uh, it's got great voice acting. In fact, I'm really good friends with the guy who plays, uh, um, Rasputin, the main character, uh, and he does a great job. It's, uh, it's delightful. It is a delightful experience that's relatively slight and will, you'll blow through pretty quickly, but if you have PlayStation VR and you're looking for something else to occupy your time, I think you'll find it very fun. Uh, just, just for the environments that you get to see and how beautiful they are. So that's uh, Psychonauts, Rhombus of Ruin. Christian, you uh, you did some VR fun this week.
1: Yeah, so the one I'll talk about quickly is Ford. They've actually kind of put a little bit of money into vr video and stuff like that and like virtual test drives they released a couple weeks ago now this um movie re rendezvous and it's in uh one of their new mustangs and they're tearing around the streets of paris all legally and you can watch it in vr and it's pretty cool but the main reason i'm bringing it to people's attention is um if you haven't watched the original rendezvous film which is a 1976 film uh all shot in one take Gorilla style through the streets of Paris. Uh the promo posters and stuff said it's like a Ferrari, but it was like a, a Mercedes. And they strapped a camera to the front bumper of this Mercedes and tore through the streets of Paris all in one take, going into oncoming totally dangerous, don't ever do this, going into oncoming traffic and uh just crazy things. They had a couple of lookouts on walkie-talkies, I think two. Um, to call out if pedestrians were going to be there or not, but the walkie-talkies broke. (laughs) The driver didn't know, and they're just so did the pedestrians. (laughs) Uh, It is unbelievable that nothing happened. Anyway, if you haven't watched that, you should watch it, and then you can do this short VR experience. It's it's cool to be like you know on the hood of a car racing through the streets of Paris. It's it's a well done VR video, and then I also went over to Jash Studios, a comedy production company here in Los Angeles. And, um, did uh, they have like a twitch channel and YouTube Jash play. and I had played some d d and d over there, some comedic d and d with them before. And this time we played it in VR through Alt space VR, and we set up like a, a a tavern. and then we played a short, like, kind of like an hour and a half just little kind of you know battle one guy funny little campaign set in a tavern. So we were in a tavern with a, a virtual table, uh, playing in a tavern that was very much like the tavern we were in um, tavern. it's really cool it it's it's like you know gimmicky in that you're playing a tabletop game in VR which has been done before but it, it's fun to sit there and be looking at the table you know playing and and you have like your virtual dice that you kind of click on and roll and you can move your guys around on your on the board and stuff like that and then when you want to role play it's like okay and then these creatures come into the front door like these this group of drunk or uh orcs coming through the front door. And then we kind of all teleport over to the front door and we, you know, role play that scenario over there away from the table. And we need to roll, you just teleport back to the table, roll your die. Um it, it's really cool. It makes for that if you don't have the time to decorate you know your living room or whatever you want to do, or have everybody come in costume. It's kind of that neat shortcut for making it feel even more immersive to to get friends together and play some play some D&D, and you can do it remotely, which is which is cool. It's all it's also like David's email uh, about Resident Evil. It's the worst it's ever going to be, and this is where Jeff will say, "I've told you that social experiences in VR is the future of VR." And yeah, you're right. Um, and this was a fun way to do it. Sounds awesome. Yeah, That's it cool. was fun. It was fun.
0: All right, guys. Uh, let's move on. Uh, I know fans of the tabletop segment, it's been a while since we have had one. We're not going to have one this week either. Uh, it's my fault for introducing uh, Quick Questions last week because it uh, it took off. People loved it. And I, I haven't gotten so many emails in a long time. But tons of great Quick Questions came in. So I want to get to that segment, but first I need to thank our final sponsor, which is Fireside. Fireside is a podcasting hosting and analytics platform created by podcasters for podcasters. So if you're thinking about being a podcaster, this is something you should really consider. It makes it so easy. In fact, Dan Benjamin, the guy who created this network, the 5x5 network, he took everything he learned from doing that and applied it to creating Fireside. And Fireside really has everything you would need. It has unlimited uploads and unlimited downloads, massive amounts of real-time data and analytics about your unique downloads, a super-fast CDN for the best download speeds, multiple podcast supports. so if you want to do multiple shows, free one-click podcast importing from Libsyn, Feedpress, Simplecast, and SoundCloud. So if you're already doing a podcast, one-click gets you into the Fireside ecosystem. And tons of other advanced features like sponsorship integration, chapter markers, a bookmarklet for links, auto posting of future episodes, time code linking so much more. If you are an expert podcaster or a complete newbie fireside has your back and you can try it for free for seven days during which time you can import your existing podcast for free while taking advantage of every feature that fireside has to offer. The unlimited plan starts at just $19 a month and there's no commitment or long-term agreement to worry about. So check it out. Fireside.fm DLC. Take the tour. Use the promo code DLC for 20% off the standard plan for three months. Fireside, by podcasters for podcasters. All right, I am excited, even though we're running a little long, I'm excited to debut the brand new Quick Questions Bumper by Bumper Extraordinaire Sean Madigan. this is pretty awesome. Here we go. It's
2: pretty awesome.
0: Amazing. Uh, so quick question, guys. This one comes from Sean from Phoenix. Quick question. Do you guys spend a lot of time trying to take cool or fun pictures in modern games photo modes? Do you think more games should have photo modes? Uh, Horizon has one. What do you, what do you think, Steve?
2: Uh, yeah, I actually spent a lot of time in Horizon doing exactly that. It's uh, I experimented a little bit in the uh, the Last of Us on PS4 as well because it had that the beautiful photo mode and it's a beautiful looking game. But um, it, you can actually really get a sense of more uh, uh, what's going on in ter- in terms of detail in the environment when you pop into photo mode. And, um, I was doing the lot. I think I have an album of like 50 <laughs> pictures I've taken in Horizon just because it is such a beautiful game and being able to pop in a photo mode very easily, in and out very easily in the middle of a fight or in the middle of, you know, Aloyd leaping, you know, off her mount or it's a, it's a really cool way to just capture moments as you would expect from a photo capture feature. But then I go to look, look online and what other people do. I'm like, Oh my God, these are like really artistically composed, beautiful, almost painting like captures from the game. And I realized mine looked kind of like junk. So <laughs> stop doing it. Yeah. I don't,
0: I don't usually have the patience to do that. I jumped into the photo mode in horizon a little bit and I was like, this is awesome, but I, I got stuff to do. I got, I got beasts to kill. Uh, but I, but I, what I will do, and I've said this before, is if a game has uh, takes a screenshot when you save the game, oh, I will compose the coolest <laughs> save game screenshot for myself. Uh, Christian, what about you? You photo
1: modes? No and yes are my answers to Sean's questions.
0: All right. Sounds good. All right. Quick question. Do you guys ever listen to music while playing games? As in mute your game and play supplemental tunes? That comes from Tony. Again, uh, all these were sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. So, Steve, music. Uh,
2: it depends on the game. If it's a game that's sort of a, a like a puzzle game or something where you're doing something fairly repetitive, um, or a game where you, like you're trying to get the last trophy in the Horizon, and it requires just a lot of uh, uh, searching around. Then maybe, but I feel like um, that kind of thing must drive composers, game composers, crazy because they got all this trouble to to. Create music that fits with the world and fits with the action, and in a good game it'll be like dynamic and scale up and scale down. I just feel bad in a way about supplanting that with my own music, and I kind of find it distracting you know if um, if I'm listening to some you know Orc slayer while playing Shadow of Mortar or something that's one thing, but for the most part, I want to know what the developers of the game wanted me to hear musically in the game rather than trying to replace it with my own my own stuff
1: Christian. Yeah, almost never. Sometimes on a game like uh, Forza Horizon, if I'm still, you know, just tooling around having fun or that kind of, uh, or like a puzzle game, like Steve said, but generally I'm listening to what the game has and, and usually really, really enjoying it, especially in games now. Their Mm -hmm. scores are just incredible, right? And even in games like Forza Horizon, (laughs) uh, Forza Horizon, and, uh, or like Mafia 3, like GTA, they have such great licensed music that fits the world and tone so well, also, that the days for me of custom soundtracks are, are long gone, more or less.
0: Uh, for me, it's legit never. as in never. Uh, even games like Here's the Storm that I've played for countless hours and it, the same silly song over and over. I will never not listen to the game's music. And I don't know why. I think it, it it's weird. It like puts me in a different place and I feel less connected and I'm not, Playing as well. So I never do that. And I understand people do, and to great effect, but phew, not for me. Alright, quick question. Uh Carmeister says uh he he thinks it's not cool that um the customize your face feature that was in Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six and NBA 2K uh isn't more used more often. He says, uh why why is this and Do you guys wish you could uh, scan your face into other types of games like role-playing games like Mass Effect, Elder Scrolls, and Forza Horizon? Christian? Uh,
1: Yes, but it never quite works as well. I remember like Tony Hawk Pro Skater, one of them, I forget which one it was, but like had it. And it was always a little too cumbersome for me where it was like, create your EA account and then – your computer and scan your fit and load it and then you you get it and you're like oh (laughs) who hit me with the ugly stick like that's not i guess i'll put it in the game um i i do think technology has gotten better now and like with smartphone app integration it should be simpler and easier to do i'd like to see it but i will take really cool looking in-game options over you know if they need to compromise their vision for the game to allow me to include my face over some generic polygon i'm okay with them leaving it out but if it's possible of course i'd love that option because you know i'm the best looking person ever and i should be in every video game
0: <laughs> i legit spent 45 minutes at the beginning of F- uh, fallout 4 trying to make my avatar look as much like me as possible uh is a narcissistic uh, perhaps but if i could do that with one button rather than 48 sliders i'd be so much happier what about you steve
2: Exactly what Christian said. I mean, the technology up to this point has been really kind of cumbersome to use, and the result is often kind of awful. And also, when I'm playing a game like like Fallout or Mass Effect, um, I don't necessarily want to be me. I'm not necessarily wanting to be myself in this world. I want to be a character and play that character. So, uh, in Fallout, Fallout, all the Fallout games, uh, Fallout 3 and 4, and all the Mass Effect games, I play as a female character. So, I create a character I want to hang out with for. 60 or 80 hours and, and it doesn't have to look like me i'm not really thinking what would i do in these situations i'm creating somebody else hmm. and thinking what would he do or what would she do in these situations so having the character look like me is is not a priority also if you saw my face you would know that i don't want to stare at my own face for <laughs> 60 or 80 hours
0: Ah, oh, i would want to stare at your face especially oh. if it was on a female body <laughs> no that's weird that's got- <laughs> weird uh this one comes from john from tucson arizona a uh, quick question what do you call the two buttons on either side of the xbox logo on the xbox one controller oh boy you know like the three Annoying. lines and the uh, other yeah. one the two boxes that are it's, yeah like there's no name out. it's like lines. the
1: hamburger and the something
0: <laughs> the list and the windows they're the worst start
1: select what are you start
2: doing select. exactly it's just it's always start select you
0: know yeah why 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 did they ruin our ability to have discourse around buttons
1: by just doing that that's the stupidest thing even when they were black and white that was better it's just the black gem (laughs) and the white gem like what it's the worst (laughs) all right that has been quick questions
0: If you want to send in some quick questions for us in future episodes, send them to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or post them in our subreddit, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Uh Tilley, Tilly, thank you so much for being here.
2: It is literally and genuinely always a pleasure.
0: Uh, well, we do have our parting gift coming up, so stick around for that. But uh, Steve, where can people keep up with you on the internet?
2: Well there's this uh, there's this social media phenomenon called Twitter that I'm 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 apparently uh in on. Uh, it's at Steve Tilly and that's Tilly with the uh, an EY at the end. So that's probably the best place. If I'm doing anything I'll throw up links to it there and um, yeah.
0: Follow cool. me on the Twitters. You got a you got a Zelda review hitting some someplace soon?
2: Ah, uh, there's going to be a switch story coming out in a couple of days. I believe Wednesday is the official kind of a uh, uh, sort of hardware review embargo. And uh, Zelda, we'll see. You know, I don't want to rush through Zelda, um, and it's a, uh, it's yeah, we'll see. Cool, we will be, be a little further along.
1: Awesome,
0: uh, Christian. How about you? What do you got going on this week?
1: Well, first, I want to give a, a little shout out to our friends at the Spawn on Me podcast for they were featured in the New York Times talking about um, you know narrative and gaming around Mafia Three and, and race and diversity. It's a really cool piece. If you haven't read it, check it out. And it's cool to see them, you know, getting the attention they they deserve more, 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 more of it for them their way. Um, this week is <laughs> hey, there's video games this week. If you don't <laughs> and you want to hang out, uh, I have some late night sessions. If you don't, or I should finish sentences. Hi. If you don't and you want, and then okay. Um, I plan on streaming a bunch of Horizon Zero Dawn and then Breath of the Wild when those come out. So it'll be late night sessions, likely Tuesday night. And then I'll be going to a midnight Switch release then on that Wednesday to pick up my Switch and Zelda. And so that will be on my Twitch channel, which is just uh, Christian Spicer. And uh, yeah, that's kind of, I don't know, stand-up's kind of taking a back seat right now. (laughs) It's, It's fall and March, you guys. And um, Twitter's the easiest way to get in touch with me At Spicer I do have a stand-up album out right now Called We're All Going to Die That people seem to dig You can find it on iTunes, Google Music Store And Amazon MP3 and then my other geek-centric podcast is called At Least 20 More Minutes, you can find that at patreon.com slash Spicer. This week's episode is going to be about franchises and the, the approach at creating a successful franchise, looking at things like Zelda versus Halo, and the different ways that games and movies can approach building a franchise. Jeff, what about you? Well,
0: uh, I have uh, two podcasts that you can listen to, uh, hear me talking about other stuff, and maybe some new things in the pipeline. Uh, you can hear me talk about movies and uh, TV shows over at the Slash Filmcast. That's at com. We're talking about, oh, what are we talking Oh, we're talking about Get Out this week, which may show up again In my parting gift. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. I'm also hosting streams on Twitch for Amazon at GDC. Uh, I don't know how you find them yet, but if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Kanata, you will find out. It should be some really cool content, interviewing people and talking to developers at GDC, which I leave for in the morning. Ah, uh, very excited! So next week's episode is going to probably have a bunch of bonus content with interviews and uh, lots of insight from GDC as well as Zelda and Horizon. And oh my gosh, what a what a time of year! What a time to be alive, guys! Uh, also, there is something coming very soon that will give you uh, more ways to hear about me talk uh, about games. And if you've been uh, lis- uh, you know sad about Tabletop Time not being featured in the show. Maybe there'll be ways to hear me talk more about that kind of stuff <clears throat> very soon. So uh, keep your eyes peeled and ears peeled uh, for that. All right. Uh, let's wrap up the show now with our parting gift.
1: Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a gift. This is parting gift.
0: All right, uh, Steve. Do you have something that can get people through their week?
2: Oh boy, um, I'm 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 really reluctant to talk about what I've gotten into. <laughs> it's uh, I'm kind of sacrificing every uh, what, what little credibility I have, but I am really digging Riverdale. Yeah, I, you, I've heard good things car. about
0: this. I'm digging Riverdale. Yeah,
2: it's the kind of show. I mean, I was never into Gossip Girl or you know The OC and these kind of teen drama shows and i feel like if this was another generic show like that there'd be no way i'd be uh, I interested in it but the fact that it's this really interesting take on the archie universe you know this universe these characters that we've grown up and they've done these really fascinating riffs on these characters it's just i i i watched i kind of hate watched the first episode i'm like oh what have they done to Archie? What have they done to Archie? And I'm like, oh god, I'm I'm stuck. I got this whole thing now. So yeah, Riverdale is what uh, I'm anticipating every new episode on Netflix on Friday, and I think it airs on the CW uh, as well through tonight. So I'm not sure, but yeah, that's my new that's my new jam.
0: Well, I, I dug that uh, Afterlife with Archie comic book, so you know it's it's possible to make Archie fun and cool. So maybe I'll have to check this. Out. I've heard good things about it. So yeah, uh, Christian, how about you? You got a uh, parting gift?
1: Yeah, two quickies. One is Pretty Little Lies on HBO. There are two episodes in right now, and wow, Adam, so S- good. Adam Scott is uh, a force, especially in the second episode. Um, I like that Reese Witherspoon's performance, man. She's great. She's incredible. Yeah, the, the whole show is incredible. I'm a little nervous that it's going to fall apart at the end because it's kind of wrapped around a mystery. But it's David E. Kelly, and the guy knows what he's doing, right? <laughs> he's been around the block yeah. a couple times. It's beautifully shot. It's on HBO. It's called Pretty Little Lies, just more TV for you to watch. And then um, the people at Kef who sent you and I both uh, a Muo Bluetooth uh, portable speaker, they sent over uh, a a pair of their Porsche Design Studio Motion One Bluetooth headphones that uh, I've been enjoying. They're waterproof. The coolest thing about them, I think. Waterproof? Or water resistant? I should look that up. I know there's a difference. They can tolerate some water. You <laughs> so can run in them and stuff. I went running uh, with them in the rain. What? Four miles, six forty pace. They hung in nice. there. Didn't fall out of my ear. Didn't bounce around. Six forty pace is no, not not too shabby there, not bro. Too shabby. It's all right. It's all right. The, what I like about them the most, um, aside from like the, everything works and they sound good. You can unhook them from, like, the kind of cabling. that They're not independent little floaties like AirPods, which have their pros as well. Uh, this kind of has the cabling and then a little thicker rubber and the back cabling to kind of keep them from getting tangled up. But you can unhook, like, the tips or the speaker, the headphone driver of it, and plug them in to be, have them be wired. So if you're out and about and your Bluetooth, you know, the battery dies, you can just pop, pop, and now you've got a great set of wired earbuds and it's stuff like that that for me when I'm out and away from charging stations a lot or I'm already charging my Switch <laughs> via my portable charger, um, I, I like smart design stuff like that, and it comes in handy. So I'll talk more about them as I put them through their paces more. But uh, uh, one run and a couple of walks with the dog, and I've uh, I've been enjoying them. So thank you to Kef for uh, sending them my way. My uh, parting gift is Get Out. Uh, you need to get
0: out of your house and go see that. It is subversive and amazing. Uh, a horror movie that is smart, that is clever, that has something to say, that is I- I- riveting. Uh, one of it, it's got it's got an amazing ending. It's it is just awesome. Get Out, directed by Jordan Peele of Key Peele fame. See it. See it. Uh, Uh, All right. It's
1: Big Little Lies. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Bradley Martin, in the chat. It's Big Little Lies. Not, it's Pretty Little Liars is a thing. Oh, yeah. The show is Big Little Lies. (laughs) Sadly, I didn't
0: even catch that. (laughs) Right. Uh, Gosh.
1: So funny. Sorry. Go see Get Out. The show that I was talking about is called Big Little Lies. Sorry.
0: Uh, All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Steve Tilly and Christian Spicer for hanging out. Thanks to all of you in the chat room for also hanging out and making the show better. We appreciate that. Uh, In fact, you know, correcting Christian, it needs to to happen. (laughs) It needs to be there. You guys got our backs. We appreciate that. Uh, Thanks to all of you who have downloaded the show. Thank you to Sean Madigan, Patrick Ellen, Zero Star for the bumpers. Sean Madigan with that new one. Just always, always amazing. Always uh, outdoing himself every time, so uh, we really appreciate that. Thanks for downloading the show. Thank you for telling your friends. Thanks for giving us five-star reviews on your platform of choice. We will be back next week. It's going to be another big one. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.